Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. Our topic today is reconciliation and diversity in the New Testament. We want to take a look at how the church was originally formed out of Jew and Gentile and to take a look at the background of that. My guest today is Dr. Michael Buer, a distinguished colleague in New Testament, associate oh, professor. Thanks for that Christian vote of confidence, Studies. Daryl. I appreciate That's that. That's good. You're very, very welcome. Uh, Mike and I have worked together a long time, and I still trust him, so that's good. Thanks. Well, I was going to say, uh, we've started to look more alike as time has gone exactly on as right. well. Exactly right. Yeah, but you, you've, you know, you've, your, your sense of exaggeration is overwhelming. Yeah, I, I realize that. I'm trying to compensate for something with this big beard and <laughs> well, Mike, talk a little bit about how you got into New Testament studies and, and particularly your interest in Galatians and the New Testament. Sure. I am, uh, much like a lot of THM students, came here to uh, get a good Bible education. And when I came here, I really fell in love with the New Testament, mm-hmm. uh, just with the, the language issues of grammar, things like that, but also the wider world uh, and the things that you taught me, that other professors taught me about understanding culture and things of that nature just really enriched everything I learned about the New Testament. So I I got my PhD in New Testament here as well, and I've been teaching uh, in the department for a number of years now. And and the more I do it, the more I realize everything that we're dealing with in the world around us, there are answers in the New Testament. There are mm. cultural problems that they experience, that we're experiencing. And uh, so in some ways, there's nothing new under the sun, and God's revelation is still valuable for us today. So happy to come and, and talk through a lot of these issues with well, you. Well, that's great to hear, and, and you're preaching to the choir here, yeah. so that's good. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, we're we, – and, and we thought we would take a look at at one of the more interesting themes that really resounds through the New Testament. And uh, the way I like to introduce this topic is to say um, there are very few passages where Paul takes the trouble to zero in on one word that summarizes what his ministry is about. And I, I, I say there – and there may be more than this, but there certainly are two very prominent passages where this is done. Uh, one is in Romans 1.16 where Paul, when he summarizes the reason he's not ashamed of the gospel, says that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. So mm-hmm. the word power is the one word that he picks to be the kind of summarizing zinger of what, mm-hmm. it's, what he's all about. And power there means enablement, and we probably one day should come back and do a podcast just on that theme. But the second passage where where this idea comes up is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where uh, Paul talks about being a given a ministry of, and he has only one word to pick, what uh, summarize everything he's about, a ministry of reconciliation. Right, right. Uh, as an ambassador of Christ, he's just come off the passage where he says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Uh, so obviously talking about the gospel, and the whole theme is summarized around the idea of reconciliation. Peter does the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 3 when he talks about being prepared to give a defense for the hope mm-hmm. that is in us, and hope becomes his singular word to build right. things around. So we've got these passages that that deal with these huge themes, and so reconciliation is certainly one of those. In fact, in New Testament studies, there's often a debate about uh, what's the most central concept in Pauline mm-hmm. theology. And one of the concepts that certainly comes up for this discussion, at least as being a candidate, if not the candidate, is the theme of reconciliation. Yeah. Well, and you had asked me before about uh, my work in Galatians Mm -hmm. and writing a commentary on it. And Paul does the same thing. He invests two words with that 
theological significance. The mm-hmm. first would be justification, mm-hmm. and the second would be inheritance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those he, he, in that particular book, is using those terms. And um, like you said, we're debate, we oftentimes debate if justification is the key at Pauline theme or whatnot. That's but right. uh, in terms of kind of dovetailing with reconciliation, it has a very human element to it because mm-hmm. both Jew and Gentile receive both of those things equally. That's so right. We'll, I know we'll talk more about that particular those particular passages, but it's, it's amazing to see how Paul's theological mind is working on our salvation from all these different angles, mm-hmm. and they just all represent different facets of the, of the beautiful salvation that we receive from That's the Lord. That's exactly yeah. right, and I think that sometimes we don't appreciate how the, uh, the variety of ways kind of end to the story mm-hmm. um, that, w- that one can take. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about the background of this, because we, we want to look at the theme of reconciliation and talk about it. We want to look at some sp- passages very, very specifically. But first, I want to paint the backdrop. And so to do that, I think we need to <laughs> go back. Um, uh, let, well, we could go all the way back to Genesis 12 and the way in which uh, God chooses Israel to be an important nation in the scheme of things uh, for his plan, and yet he's going to bless the world through them. But we'll move forward and talk about the period between uh, between the Testaments, what's mm-hmm. often called the intertestamental period, it's the te- it's the Second Temple period, right. and we're dealing with um, the way in which Judaism is reacting to circumstances around it. Um, and there's an event that I think most Christians don't know very much about that actually is pretty important to the backdrop of the New Testament, and that's the Maccabean War. Mm-hmm. Now. Um, that's not in the Bible anywhere, but uh, but the impact of that event on the New Testament is huge. So can you sketch for us why the Maccabean War is an important part of the backdrop of understanding what's going on in sure. the New Testament? Uh, what happened was the um, the Jews had uh, undergone a period of persecution uh, under um, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, mm-hmm. and it was a terrible time for them uh, because they had been oppressed, they had been forced to basically become Hellenist, which meant uh, eating pork, sacrificing to false gods, uh, and in fact, Antiochus even uh, went into the temple and sacrificed a pig. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so everything that they held dear, everything that, that connected them to their god was under attack. And what happened is this uh, um, this family, the, the reason it's called the Maccabean Revolt is because it was taken from the name of the patriarch, mm-hmm. uh, basically led Israel in a revolt. Uh, and it was so successful that they were able to become independent for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's a uh, the the revolt that we're referring to, the Maccabean War, was the the time in which they were fighting against uh, the the forces of Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, seeking to gain independence uh, and becoming the Jews they were meant to be. Mm-hmm. They're in the land they've they had been worshiping that had been taken away, and they're trying to get that back. Um, and what became really critical, I think, is not so much the military aspects of it, but the social and cultural aspects of it, Mm -hmm. because the Jews as a people had been put in a pressure cooker and Mm -hmm. forced to become something else, Mm -hmm. and they fought uh, viciously and and bravely to retain those social and cultural things that marked them off as who they were, things that God had ordained and uh, blessed them with, worship in the temple, uh, Sabbath uh, food, and things of that nature. So it became not just a military victory, but a time of, of, shall we say, um, social uh, I was going to say purification. I don't mm-hmm. mean that in a negative sense, but yeah. they basically said, we are Jews. We are intended to be such by God. We're blessed as such. Uh, and so uh, it was a time of renewal and restoration. 
And in fact, the time when the, the Maccabean descendants were ruling over Israel was a time when Israel was an independent nation again, and they were prosperous and strong uh, and um, uh, blessed by the Lord in a lot of ways. So what did this mean for the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, and how, particularly how Jewish people tended to view Gentiles? Sure. Well, I think the, the best and most obvious thing to say is that Antiochus was a Gentile. Mm-hmm. And so for him to forcibly make Jews act like Gentiles, you can imagine how that would create a animosity, mm-hmm. a, uh, a fear, uh, perhaps in a negative sense even a hatred uh, of of, a, of Gentiles and everybody else that was outside, uh, because they had been so persecuted, um, they they felt the need to uh, remove any Gentile influence, to um, restrict it, so that it didn't negatively influence them again. So mm-hmm. it didn't affect their worship in the temple or their desire to live as as Jews. Um, the the what we oftentimes realize though is that it, they weren't perfect in that. You know, you and mm-hmm. I can right. uh, recall how they were syncretistic at some point. They became uh, very cozy in a lot of ways with uh, uh, with Gentile forces. But it, it created sort of a, a social impetus to be distinct mm-hmm. uh, and to and to make sure that you were encouraging your neighbor, your Jewish neighbor, your Jewish friends, your Jewish family to be distinct because the fate of the nation was at hand. If mm-hmm. you compromised, um, there was danger uh, in that. And so they were very intent on on remaining uh, pure and Jewish, rightly so, because that's who God called them to be. But um, it ended up causing some negative consequences moving forward, it, um, uh, uh, which we can discuss if you want to go that direction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I th- and I think this is important because if we look at the various groupings of what emerged out of reaction to the Maccabean War, I mean, you're talking about a social pressure that's designed to really deny your identity, mm-hmm. your religious identity, and you're fighting to preserve that. All of that's very, very – I mean, you, you, this is one of these places where it reflects what goes on today. Yeah, yeah. I was, gonna, <laughs> I was and, wondering if you were going to bring that yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you ask yourself, okay, so what are the reactions? So let's go through the various groups and talk about the reactions. And I have in mind here Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and Zealots. Okay. Okay, yeah. so lions and tigers <laughs> yeah, and bears, oh my. Sure. Okay, all right. Yeah, well, should we start at the top? <laughs> so yeah. Pharisees. Yeah, the Pharisees were a group that came out of that that period of foment, that period of, uh, of, of, shall we say, compromise after this period. And they basically said, listen, if we're going to be faithful Jews, we have to stay faithful to what God originally gave us, the Torah. Mm-hmm. Um, because all of the, the things that make a, a Jew a Jew come from that, mm-hmm. uh, Sabbath, uh, food, etc. And so their focus was on obeying the Torah as perfectly as they could. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, um, the general argument, the way a lot of scholars talk about it is, is that they took the requirements for a priest, which mm-hmm. were you know above and beyond kind of requirements, and said, we're going to make, we're going to try to behave this way all the time. Everyone needs to behave this mm-hmm. way. So they were, they solved the problem of, shall we say, Gentile compromise by focusing on the Torah, mm-hmm. on living that out and obeying the laws that were that were written there. Uh, what was the next group you'd say? Yeah, the, Sadducees. Sadducees. Okay, yeah, the, the Sadducees um, were were pragmatists in mm-hmm. a sense because they said, if we're going to survive in this day, we have to. 
uh, work with the ruling power such that we can stay alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if we are so dead set against uh, you know Gentile rulers that they come and crush us, what's the point? What's mm-hmm. going to be the result? There won't be a Jewish nation. So they had basically adopted in such a way that they could uh, live as Jews, but then still have the sanction of Rome. Uh, and so um, they they were basically compromisers, you might mm-hmm. could say. The the next group, the Essenes, those were the people that decided, well, you know what? The only way that we can really be a Jew is to uh, remove ourselves. Mm-hmm. To uh, the Essene community was a community established in the desert. Um, mm-hmm. The reason it's uh, uh, was in the desert is because nobody wanted to go there. So that's a Benedict, <laughs> the Benedict option that we hear about today. Yeah, although um, uh, although I think maybe the Benedict option is a little bit different. But, um, but the the point being is they said we need to be Jews, but we can't be Jews in contact with Gentiles. We're mm-hmm. going to have to remove ourselves to a remote location. Um, you know, for example, in the news recently there was a discovery of a new a new Qumran cave mm-hmm. um, in. And the Qumran area is where a lot of these people lived, um, and the reason that that cave was only recently discovered is because it's hard to get to. It's right. physically demanding location. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they had removed themselves, and their basic solution was, we're not going to compromise, we're just going to exit mm-hmm. and go to a different location. Now, the last group that you mentioned, the Zealots. They were the ones who decided that they were going to take matters into their own hands. Mm-hmm. And they were actually uh, – there were some of them that were called sicari, mm-hmm. uh, which is a term for dagger, because mm-hmm. what they would do is hide a dagger in their clothes, mm-hmm. and when they had an opportunity, they would bring it out and assassinate uh, you know, an official or mm-hmm. somebody who was colluding with, with Rome. Uh, and so their philosophy was, we're going to need to take action. And they took it in a way that was violent mm-hmm. and that was uh, dangerous, uh, and in some ways contrary to the to the teaching of the Torah. Uh, but um, but it was a solution that, uh, in some ways, was effective because Rome had to do things about them at various points. Every one of these groups is nervous about Gentiles. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Yeah, very fair. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so along comes the gospel, uh, in which. Um, uh, Jesus initially, of course, is ministering to Israel, but eventually asks the disciples to take the message to the ends of the earth. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, we're going to invite these people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can just imagine the disciples' eyes when Jesus was saying that you need to, you know, go uh, from uh, here to Samaria, and uh-huh. they probably thought and said. Wait a second. We don't like the Sumerians. There's a reason because yeah, they were, yeah. you know, they're basically they're the leftover Assyrians that right. uh, that um, took Israel captive. And then he said to the ends of the earth, mm-hmm. and I'm sure their eyes just got wide. Mm-hmm. And they said, "Wait, you mean Gentiles? They're going to hear this message and they need to respond to it?" Yeah. In fact, in Acts, it looks like for a while they thought, "Yeah, we can take that message to the ends of the earth, but we'll talk to Jews who are scattered around before <laughs> before we'll talk to any Gentiles." And then, sure, uh, they're, they're here. Why not? You know? uh, let's take the, care of that first. And then, and then God's got to remind them about chapter ten that mm-hmm. no, no, I'm I mean ends of the earth. I mean anybody and everybody. Right, right. Yeah. The the and I think what we see in the in the book of Acts and in in Paul's letters mm-hmm. is the growing pains, I guess if we could say it that way, of the church coming to the recognition that the gospel message is, in fact, in God's ordination and will and desire and decree to go to Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And it was always intended to go to Gentiles. And so the light bulb had to come on. It had to be, you know, 
it had to be screwed in the right way, mm-hmm. and it had to be polished, and, and then it had to be turned on, and it took a while. It just it just naturally Ooh, took a while. <laughs> <laughs> it took a while for, for them to understand. Oh, I begin to see God's program. I begin right. to see why He's doing what He's doing, and why we're now called to to act this way. And so, a lot of the the problems that we see in the New Testament, uh, some of the things we've mentioned about Paul's arguments mm-hmm. and 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 whatnot, um, are just a very real record of the the human propensity to stay where we are, to mm-hmm. stay with who we are like, mm-hmm. and not to expand out as God desired them to do. Okay, well, this sets us up nicely for the passages that we want to look at. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about, let's go one at a time here, and start in Galatians. If you, and Galatians has got to be a little bit of a shock to people in some mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. It's clear it was a shock to the church. That's why Paul's <laughs> writing. So um, so why, why do you think... Um, why do you think Paul had to work so hard to make clear what the gospel was all about? What had happened is, is he had had an opportunity to evangelize uh, people within the Galatian region. Um, uh, there's a little bit of a scholarly debate you and yeah, I know yeah. about which area, but yeah. we can just say the Galatian region for now. And the churches had heard his gospel, mm-hmm. they had heard his proclamation, and these Gentiles had responded. And so the church had begun. Um, there's even evidence in what he says that they had received the Holy Spirit, that God was at work among them in a powerful way. So the church had been established. The proof was already there that the message was intended to go to the Gentiles and they were intended to respond. But after the fact, after he left the scene, um, people from uh, most likely Jerusalem came uh, to the area and had begun to preach that, no, what Paul told you wasn't exactly right. Um, he perhaps got you started on the road by mm-hmm. getting you connected to the Lord, but in order to complete this this spiritual transformation, you've got to become Jewish. Mm-hmm. You, in essence, have to obey the in law. In terms of practice. Yeah, in terms of practice. Yeah. Uh, specifically, circumcision was mm-hmm. discussed. Um, uh, there's indications, perhaps, that the Galatians might have even uh, been struggling with whether or not to keep the Sabbath mm-hmm. uh, and some other things that made people... Diet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So all the things that, that we think of when we think of what makes a Jewish person Jewish, mm-hmm. they were being encouraged to take that on. And, and the reason Paul had to address it so carefully is because that assertion implies that the that what Christ did for these Gentiles and him bringing them into the church was insufficient, mm-hmm. um, and so the the basically it gets to the you know what we might call the question of is. Christ alone sufficient for the salvation of these Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And so that had come into question, and Paul did not hesitate to to say, no, this this alternative teaching, this idea that you've got to finish by going to the law uh, is is problematic and wrong. Um, and so he, he had to address it head on with the Galatians because they were being tempted to come away, to become Jewish in a sense. Now, which passages in Galatians do you feel um, get at this and, and show kind of the, the proper direction of things? Yeah. There, Galatians is roughly divided into three parts. Chapters mm-hmm. 1 and 2, Paul kind of details his uh, history, his mm-hmm. personal biography. And then chapters 3 and 4 are a central theological section where mm-hmm. he dives into this question about the nature of the gospel and how Gentiles fit. And then chapters 5 and 6 wrestle with, uh, in some ways, the the outgrowth. If you've got the Spirit, how should you behave and how should the you live? The application. Right, right, the application. Yeah. And it's really in that central section where he gets into the nuts and bolts of it. Because his, his basic argument there is that the Galatians – 
were included in God's promises to Abraham. They were included as recipients of the gospel from the get-go. When mm-hmm. you go back to the Old Testament and you see the promises of, of Messiah and you see the promises of the gospel, the Gentiles are there. Um, might, maybe not spelled out in so many letters, but when you see God's plan and you see the whole of what God is doing in this world to restore it to himself, the, the Gentiles are included. Uh, and they're included as Gentiles, mm-hmm. not as a group of people that have to become something else, mm-hmm. but they can remain who they are and then become uh, people of God uh, in the, the family of God. Now, do we see this uh, in, in chapter three in particular anywhere, or or when you said yeah. central section, I'm assuming we're talking about chapters three and four. Yeah, yeah, that central theological yeah. section. Yeah. yeah, it basically is part of his whole complete argument. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two, two or three places that we could um, point to. Um, if, if, in chapter 3, verse 8, mm-hmm. he's kind of thinking back to what God promised to Abraham. We all know about the Abrahamic promise, the right. Abrahamic covenant from Genesis chapter 12. Um, and Paul takes that and points out that Gentiles were part of that. Mm-hmm. He says in the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, proclaimed the gospel to Abraham ahead of time, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. In other words, that that promise that was way back to Abraham in the very beginning included Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't mean that they have to become Jews. It means that they're accepted as they are, mm-hmm. as Gentiles. The next verse shows that it's the question really of faith that becomes really critical. Those who believe, and the subtext here would be whether Jew, whether Gentile, those people are blessed along with Abraham, the believer. So it's, it, it's his way of saying it doesn't matter who you are. You're included in this promise. Uh, and this, this chapter actually echoes something that's also said in Romans 4, mm-hmm. which is that Abraham's the father. He's the father of faith. He gets called to faith before he's circumcised. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a matter of works. It's a matter of grace. All those themes are in Romans 4 as well. And, and so we're back into, you know, how far back does this promise go? Well, Genesis 12, that's yeah. pretty early yeah. in the whole story. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and so, so we've got lots of things that Paul – is building on here. He goes on to talk about how the law doesn't accomplish this for anybody. That's verses uh, 10 and 11. And then verse 12, he picks up and he says, but the law is not based on faith, but the one who does the works of the law will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it was written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And then what I think is probably one of the more important verses Mm -hmm. in the entire book, in order that Christ Jesus, uh, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham would come to Gentiles so we could receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. So the gift is this enablement by the Spirit right. that comes by faith, which enables you to live in a way that the law couldn't do for you because it was on the outside, it yeah, was external. Exactly. Yeah, this verse is worth unpacking just yeah. a little bit. There's a, there's some Old Testament theology that we ought to to show as a background. Okay. You know, basically, one thing that we'd have to, to argue is that w- what was God going to do when he finally renewed his people Israel? Mm-hmm. Uh, we go to New Covenant passages like Jeremiah 31, mm-hmm. but there's also a parallel uh, passage in Ezekiel 36 where he talks about the the, the new thing that he's going to do in the eschaton is to give his spirit to his people. Right. And so he is tying into that particular promise. And the ultimate goal here is not that the Jews would have it and the Gentiles might benefit. It's that the Gentiles would have it as well. That's what the blessing of Abraham is. It's this promise of the spirit that ultimately was going to be given to the, to the Jews. Um, Paul argues that 
God organized everything so that it would also come to the Gentiles. They were meant to be fully included in this blessing, this spirit uh, that was going to be poured out upon people as, as a sign of God's well, love. Well, actually, three covenants in, in one paragraph, if we could think about it that way. The mm-hmm. Abrahamic covenant, all nations will be blessed. The idea of the Christ, that there was a seed of David who would come and, and execute this on behalf of God, uh, who is the seed, mm-hmm. if we, that's, what we're getting, mm-hmm. that's what he's getting ready to say. And then thirdly, the new covenant, the idea that God would put his spirit within people as a way of dealing with what the law could not do because it was an external standard as opposed to something that brought internal transformation. How's right. that for a summary? Yeah, that's a, that's a great summary. I was, I was going to say, what, what – what we're doing, of course, with you know two thousand years of hindsight, is we're able to see all the pieces of the puzzle. Right. And I think what we have to wrestle with sometimes is the the Jews in Paul's time didn't see it. Right. And so that's why I think he had to really address this and help mm-hmm. help them realize. No, I, I have been called as the apostle to the Gentiles because God has been planning to bring these people in mm-hmm. all along, ever since day one. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Oh, this is – let's put it against the backdrop of where we started, which mm-hmm. is the sense of distance that existed between Jews and Gentiles and almost the sense of hostility and, and animosity that existed between these two groups. It's a little bit like the danger was, are we inviting the traitor into the house? Uh, I mean, <laughs> right. is, yeah. is – and mm-hmm. so you're having to overcome that hurdle of here is someone different than who I am, who God is also reaching out to bless. Should mm-hmm. I really feel comfortable about that? Right. Right. Yeah, and you can understand why somebody wouldn't feel comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we didn't talk about the beginning of chapter yeah. two, but the the central, or not? The, excuse me, not the beginning, but the middle. But Paul was really reacting to Peter at one point because Peter had invited those people in. They were eating together at right. Antioch, but then when some Jewish people came from Jerusalem, from James, he withdrew. He basically said, "No, we've got to keep that distance." And Paul was saying, "You're you're making backward steps. Mm-hmm. You are not going the direction God wants us to go mm-hmm. in bringing the Gentiles." into this promise. So, yeah, you can understand exactly why they felt that way, but that doesn't that doesn't make it right. We've That's got to right. recognize God's plan his as the creator is to bring all peoples, whether Jew or Gentile, into his family. Yeah, Scripture often walks in ways that challenges us where we are in life and yeah. how we tend to view our experience. Definitely. And that certainly is what's going on in this book. Yep. And Paul is Paul is in uh, in full throttle challenging mm-hmm. where the Galatians are. Right. And, and sort of to close off our discussion on Galatians, because I know we want yeah. to go to some, some other passages, he, in the we mentioned that the latter two chapters, he talks about how the Spirit uh, guides the behavior. He, at that point, he's now not talking anymore about the Jew-Gentile problem. Mm -hmm. He basically is saying, 
listen, you all have received the Spirit. Mm-hmm. The Spirit has been equally given so that you might walk in a way that pleases the Lord as a Jew, and you might walk in the way that it's pleases the Lord as a It's a good Southern y'all, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And we could even say, you know, uh, he was fixing to do it or something like that. Yeah. But, um, but so his, his, you know, the, his theology is the proof of the Spirit in your midst shows that God has accepted all of us mm-hmm. despite our – our differences, despite our, our uh, Jewishness or Gentileness, and so it, it's a it's a great you know round off because he 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 implies that you've got the Spirit and that's all that you need in order to live a life that pleases the Lord. Those Jewish Gentile distinctions have fallen away. Okay, let's take a look at a couple of other passages uh, while we still have time. Uh, the next passage I want to go to is actually one of my favorites in the New Testament. I actually think it's one of the more important Pauline passages in all of Scripture, and it's in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, the, the picture is of um, – of how we minister um, uh, in light of the gospel. And as I mentioned, this passage begins in verse 17, chapter 5. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, what is old has passed away. Look, what is new has come. It's an allusion, again, to the to the newness, to the rebirth, if mm-hmm. I can say it that mm-hmm. way. Uh, being born again, I like to say, you know, <laughs> say it like a good Baptist. Well, I am, I am from Georgia, so you're That's speaking right, my language. You got it, yeah. So, and you preach that from the pulpit. So anyway, uh, uh, and and so you've got this new life uh, element that's going on that makes uh, makes possible the ability to walk with God, and then he says this: and all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting here thinking, man, if I were to walk out on the street and ask someone if you had one word to summarize what the gospel is mm-hmm. all about or salvation is all about. And I and I just asked it open endedly. I imagine I get all kinds of answers: grace, forgiveness, mm-hmm. uh, hope, uh, salvation, salvation, judgment. judgment. Even, I mean, you. Sure. I mm-hmm. mean, you. And I'm I'm willing to bet that if you win the average church. The term reconciliation would fall way down on that list. It would not <laughs> yeah. be in the top five. Sure. It might even make the top top ten. Yeah, fair enough. And yet. But- it's so fundamental. Exactly. It, because uh, to me, this is one of the most important ways Paul describes our salvation because it implies that there's two parties that are at enmity with each other. Right. And that's a fundamental way to describe how we rebelled against God and we needed His uh, His forgiveness. Um, and so it, it encompasses, in many ways, all of those other ideas in a very potent uh, uh, friendship uh, metaphor, in a sense. That's right. And the picture here of a reconciliation is obviously primarily aimed at the relationship that we have with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's certainly the case. When you read on, it says, in other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's transgressions against them, and he has given us the message of reconciliation. And then this wonderful verse that I mm-hmm. think is – I actually think this is one of the core verses when you think about engagement in general. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador you know, represents a country mm-hmm. that he's a foreigner in a strange land. Uh, he is designed to picture uh, uh, what his country, home country is about and what mm-hmm. its values are. Uh, he works for people peace between mm-hmm. uh, the people that he represents and the people where he is living. Uh, all those things are in play. As though God were making his plea through us, interesting tone, um, we plead with you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And obviously this is the human divine relationship that's right. being mm-hmm. focused on here. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. 
mm-hmm. in summary, actually also the Book of Romans. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and what's beautiful about it is that God stands ready. Right. He is ready to be reconciled to us. It's just a matter of us He sent out a whole cadre of messengers <laughs> to make the point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that message is both incarnated and declared, mm-hmm. so, so that we're supposed to represent God in this way, not only by what we say, but by how we live and engage. Mm-hmm. And uh, and reconciliation is the point. So I like to tell people, you know, why? Uh, another way to get at this is to say, why is the gospel good news? Mm-hmm. You know, most people sometimes hear the gospel, or at least they hear the way the sure. church preaches the gospel. They think, well, this sounds like mostly bad news. I'm a sinner and am in trouble, and you know, uh, I better repent. Yeah, if, uh, exactly. I call it a Jim, Jimmy Cagney, Black and Decker voice. Nah, 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 nah. You know, you dirty rat. You shouldn't be doing that. And yeah, I understand. Uh, and 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 there's no good news in that message. Right. But if you think about reconciliation or Peter's word hope, what you're talking about in the gospel is an offer to be reconnected to the living God. To right. Actually, live out the way you were designed to live. That's mm-hmm. what the gospel's designed to take you back to. Yeah, exactly. And there, and and there's there's a there's a sense here that it fulfills us as who we were made to be. That's God, right. the Creator who made us, wants to be connected to us. And if we respond to that message, it fulfills His entire plan for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we can only find the fulfillment that we really want by responding to that message of, of reconciliation. So obviously, reconciliation is an important theme, and it's you know. To me, this this category this is the this is the answer to the human problem and human dilemma to mm-hmm. be reconciled to God, and uh, we posit all kinds of answers in our everyday life in mm-hmm. terms of what might fix what's wrong in the world, but ultimately the theme of reconciliation is the divine answer to the problem, getting reconnected to God in a proper way, and then right. and then letting His resources and His mm-hmm. power and His enablement change how we. Act and interact, and in that process, hopefully, bring a healthier dynamic to the way in which people function in the world. Right, exactly, and that, that in fact, is a great segue. I mean, yeah. because what we're the next passage we want to talk about, Ephesians two, right. deals with that horizontal problem. Exactly correct. Know? So it's as if. In Paul's theology, we've got to get right with God, and then we can get right with our fellow man. And what's really interesting is, is that you look at the Bible as a whole, that's the way the whole thing has always been structured ethically. Mm-hmm. I like to remind people, think about the Ten Commandments for a second. Okay, two tablets. Mm-hmm. Tablet one deals with your relationship with. God. God. Tablet two deals with your relationship to? Man. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. Okay, think about the great commandment. Okay, mm-hmm. love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, strength. Okay, mm-hmm. that's part one. And part two is love your, your neighbor, neighbor as, as yourself. yourself. Mm-hmm. So you've got what I call the ethical triangle, which is you've got your relationship to God, which is vertical, mm-hmm. designed to impact your relationship to others, which is horizontal, and, it, and it's a three-part deal. And what we sometimes do, even with a term like repentance, mm-hmm. is we say – or a term like reconciliation, we say, well, this is ultimately about my relationship to God, mm-hmm. and, and repentance is ultimately about my relationship with God. But biblically speaking, it's actually about the whole shooting match. Right, exactly. It, it, the reason I get rightly related to God in part is not only to be rightly related to God, but then I'm better equipped to actually reflect who God is to the people that God has put me alongside and mm-hmm. who I am designed to serve and minister to and love and care for, et cetera, as I steward the creation that mm-hmm. God asked me to steward all the way back in Genesis 1. Right, exactly. It puts us exactly. at the back to the beginning of the story. Yeah. Well, why don't we 
and take a look at the Ephesians 2 passage. Okay, that, that sounds a, like a great idea. That has a idea. ton of stuff to say on this theme. You know, part of the reason that we, that you and I talked about sitting down and doing this together was because of the issues of diversity that we're wrestling with in our, our culture. Right. And, and fundamentally, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, unless we are properly reconciled with God, we cannot be properly reconciled to our neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so the, the true answer to diversity is recognizing that, that God is in charge of it and mm-hmm. God has re, redeemed us so that he can redeem our relationships uh, mm-hmm. together. And Ephesians 2, I think, really hits that, that nail right on the head. I do think that raises a question that I kind of want to pose at the start, too, which goes something like this. It isn't that I, that I as a believer who's been reconciled to God, am supposed to wait until the other person also gets reconciled to God before I treat them in, in an appropriate mm-hmm. way. Uh, that, that, that's not a prerequisite for what we're talking about. We're actually supposed to model the way God acts. Mm-hmm. The way God acts is, is that He, as the just one, died for the unjust. Mm-hmm. Or as, again, First, First Peter 3 says when it's to going through this example about being prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you. Later on down in that passage, the example for doing this, even when you're treated unjustly, mm-hmm. and, and responding to the unjust person in a just kind of way is the example of Christ himself. Yep, exactly. So we actually model who Christ is when we love our enemy and mm-hmm. seek to serve them and care for them and pray for them, things Jesus said as well. And so there's a there's a there's a huge ethical core behind what we're talking about here mm-hmm. that doesn't require the response of the person on the other side for me to at least take the initiative in trying to reflect what God has done in my own life. Mm-hmm. And, and in a sense, it really respects um, the, the fact that God has not just called me to redemption, but my fellow man. That's you right. Know, everyone that is part of the human family is, is whom God is calling. And it recognizes that I'm just not God's you know, soul attention. He's got his attention on everyone else as well, and so it's respecting his desire and love for my fellow human being um, to to recognize that and to live so that. So we out. extend a hand and in invitation by the way mm-hmm. we interact with people, invite them in to be reflective of what it is that Christ has taught us. He even said it in the Lord's Prayer, which is better named the Disciples' Prayer, mm-hmm. in which he said, you know, uh, in which we ask for forgiveness of sins because we forgive those who trespass against us. Yeah, exactly. It's the same kind of attitude. So with all that. Set table setting. Uh, we've got these Gentiles in the first handful of verses who, who really are a pretty bad lot at the start yeah. of the passage. I mean, if I, I, I tell people when you read this, you know, this kind of CV, this resume mm-hmm. of what makes a Gentile a yeah. Gentile. It's not something you present to a prospective employer. Right, right. You know, we, um, we teach this passage pretty regularly in our exegesis class, and mm-hmm. uh, we ask students to kind of create a thematic statement. And I will routinely say something like, "The very sorry state of the Gentiles." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing good to That's be said right. about them. That's right. And we're not apologizing here. We're just describing. <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's, uh, so they're uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision that's mm-hmm. performed by hands. They're without a Messiah. Mm-hmm. They're alienated from the citizenship of Israel. They're strangers to the covenant of promise. They have no hope. And they're without God in the world. It's, exactly. It's, it's, it's not a thrilling resume. No, no. But, but kind of keeping with our theme of, of diversity and talked a little bit about reconciliation, what Paul is saying is, is that – the Gentiles were separate from everything that made Jews Jews. Right. The you know the promise of the Messiah. The Messiah was right. going to be a Jew. The covenants that God had given to them through Abraham and David. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they weren't privy to that because of their uh, their Gentileness. Um, but 
verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near. Um, it's, that's, a, that's a powerful statement about what And brought near doesn't mean what it might suggest. It doesn't mean being brought close. It's actually a way of seeing been brought in. Right, yeah, brought, yeah, brought inside, good yeah. paraphrastic yeah. rendering, yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Because, because the point is is that, that that distance, that space, that chasm that mm-hmm. used to exist has now been removed. Right, exactly. Um, okay, and then to show you, I, I love this, it's, for he is our peace, the one who made both groups into one and destroyed the middle wall, partitioned the hostility. And I like to say here, um, this, this is – this is this is reconciliation, as you said earlier, at the horizontal level. It's very clear. We've got two groups that are now made into one. We've got a partition that's done away. I like to say, you know, God is my peace. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's not me and God that we're talking mm-hmm. about. It's exactly. that God is our shalom, mm-hmm. and yeah. and this is the diversity made into a unity. Mm-hmm. And, and Christ's work was to remove those barriers between us. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some debate about exactly what that was, whether it was you know the cultural enmity that they felt towards each other, uh, similar to what we were talking about earlier, the way Jews felt, or whether it was uh, the law itself. But Christ's complete and finished work on the cross removed any barrier between us. Um, and, there, and that then creates the opportunity for us to be formed into a, a new humanity in the church. So when it says, when he nullified in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees, I can imagine the Jews that we were describing at the very beginning of the mm-hmm. hour, going hearing that and going, whoa! <laughs> whoa. <laughs> their, their eyebrows, yeah. you know, went yeah. up five notches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because now the distinction at one level seems to be done away with, and and yet it says he did this to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And I think it's very important here to discuss. You've already said this in one way. This new man is new humanity. This is not a discussion of the internal anthropology of my having a a new creation inside of me as an individual. This is a corporate image Mm -hmm. in which we have come in to be part of a new humanity. It's a group of people that we're talking about. When the parallel passage in Colossians 3 talks about there being no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, barbarian or Scythian, and I I like to use the illustration, when I go to the doctor, the doctor doesn't examine me when I'm sick and say, you know, Daryl, the problem with you is you got too many barbarians and Scythians inside of you, and if we can take care of that problem, you'll be feeling whole and better again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, this is a conglomeration of groups of people right. who have now been unified and brought into oneness in Christ, um, and he's reconciled both of them in one body to God through the cross, by which the hostility has been killed, and so this this barrier, not only just the law, but the sheer hostility between the two groups has been removed by what Christ has done on the cross. Exactly. And the, the latter part of this this paragraph really presents the beautiful new picture of what this community is going to look like. You know, there's no longer going to be innies and outies. There's right. no longer going to be uh, us and them. Uh-huh. It's only we. Mm-hmm. It's only we in the body. Mm-hmm. And the, the imagery is of them being built together into a, a new dwelling place where God himself can live. It's kind of a temple image. Right. Uh, and the church being the, the new place where God is going to reside. Um, and the, Paul's whole point of this paragraph is to make the Gentiles remember that they were out, but now God has graciously brought them in. And I think to the Jew it says, 
um, these people were out, but now they're in, and so we have to accept them as 100% brothers and sisters uh, in this new community that God has created And in so in verse 17, it says, He came and he preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to you who are near. Same message, no mm-hmm. matter whether they were close or distant from the promise. So that through him, we both have access in one spirit, spirit key to this mm-hmm. whole thing, just as we saw in Galatians, to the Father. So then, you... And the you goes back to the you of verse 11, you Gentiles, Mm -hmm. are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but are fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household, because you've been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. And then the picture of the temple, as you noted, in him the whole Mm -hmm. building being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built together in a dwelling place of Christ and the Spirit. I do think it's important to remember that part of what makes reconciliation reconciliation is to recall that God has made one out of two people who reasonably before would have been seen as distinct people. Yeah. And and not just distinct, but perhaps incompatible. That's exactly yeah. right. And so in the process of that, you've got Jews and Gentiles who get to remain to some degree somewhat Jewish and somewhat Gentile mm-hmm. in the way they live. I mean, we see in the New Testament discussions about, you know, don't mess with someone else's diet if they have that terms of conscience. Just don't require it of somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so they get to maintain who they were on the one hand, but they realize there's something that transcends that on the right. other. Yeah, one verse that in Galatians we didn't talk about is towards mm-hmm. the end, but it kind of deals with this particular theme. Uh, it's at the very end when Paul is kind of summarizing the the message, mm-hmm. and he says basically here, it's in uh, chapter 6, verse 15, okay. for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Mm-hmm. The only thing that matters is a new creation. Yeah. And it, 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 we would think he would say, Circumcision doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, we would think he would say, "Oh, un- uncircumcision doesn't matter," but he says they both, neither uh-huh. of them, matter. Yeah, and that what this stands in for is Jewish identity, Jewish racial mm-hmm. ethnicity, and Gentile racial ethnicity. And his point is, is that those things have been minimized. What now is maximized is the fact that we are together in the body uh, that. Uh, the the body of believers that Christ has made. And the beauty of that testimony to the world is that that which is previously separate and previously hostile has now been brought into a realm of shalom or peace Mm -hmm. by what it is that God has done and by God's power, by God's provision, by God's grace. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that one of the most powerful testimonies the church has available to itself today in our world, transition, Mm -hmm. is, is, uh, is the way in which we are able to demonstrate this kind of reconciliation because it's so contrary to much of the tribalism that we see mm-hmm. that often goes on in the world. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I, we we kind of talk about this at our own church. I attend, uh, as you can imagine, fairly uh, mostly white church, but mm-hmm. we actually had a good discussion at a business meeting the other day about how we are just about to cross that percentage threshold that classifies us as a multi-ethnic church. Mm-hmm. And we were excited about that. Mm-hmm. We realized that God's at work to build something that we couldn't build on our own. Uh, right. For a long time, we were just white middle class. Now we're moving into a new area, and we believe that's a sign of God's blessing and of His goodness and of a reflection of what He wants the church to be. Yeah. So I, I think that the, I think we often there's too much discussion in our culture. I think about diversity as if it's almost a four letter word. It's mm-hmm. a dirty word, uh, and yet what we see God doing, at least in relationship to the gospel and the offer of the gospel, is building out of the diversity which He has created mm-hmm. a unity that allows the different elements of what that diversity represents to be 
harmonized, if yeah. you will, in a body that, that operates in peace and reconciliation with one another, thus the ministry of reconciliation being a central theme of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Paul never said you have to stop being a Jew, you have to stop being a Gentile. Mm -hmm. What he did say is you have to be that within the context of your brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. um, and that and that's exactly what God intended from day one. Mm -hmm. From the beginning of those promises was a was a new body that was going to include all of them together. And so you don't have a Jew who has to become a Gentile, you don't have a Gentile who has mm -hmm. to become a Jew, but they do have to be one in Christ. Right. That's exactly right. So, um, well, this has been an interesting overview. Obviously, it's an important theme. We've only touched uh, the the top layer of it, but I think it's important to think about, you know, how Galatians three and four, and Second Corinthians five, and uh, and Ephesians two help us. Uh, in thinking through uh, what it is that God has done in salvation. I like to say, you know, when God forgave our sins and we died on the cross, it isn't just that we check a box and we go to heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, he did it for a reason. And the reason that he did it for, in part, had to do with bringing shalom to the earth, to, be, to bring a wholeness, a restoration, if you will. And that restoration is seen relationally, mm -hmm. and it's seen relationally across a diverse group of people. Yeah. And I think the calling we have to take up is is that we're called to show that in our daily lives. That's right. And um, we have to, to think about the, the way that we treat others in the body, the way that we're interacting with them. Do we mod – uh, not modify um, – show that shalom? Do we exhibit it uh, in, in that unity? We don't have to change our ethnicity. We can't. But um, we've got to show it in such a way that we give evidence to the fact that Christ has brought us all together, loves all equally, and desires to create a new body of the entire human race uh, that's a temple to, that can praise Him. Well, we thank you, Michael, for coming in and helping us think through this, uh, and we appreciate your taking the time to be with us, and we appreciate the fact that you have joined us on the table and hope you'll join us again. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick, and Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.